Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. You're listening to The Small Council, a Game of Thrones podcast. All right, everybody. Welcome back. This is the Small Council Podcast. I have a very special guest today for an on-the-fly, off-the-cuff, um, GOT, little bit of season six breakdown. We have some emails, but Matt is with me here today. How you doing, Matt? It's great to be here. I, I wish the other guys were here, too, because I think there's lots of fun stuff to talk about, but thanks for having me, brother. Oh, well, you're saving me because... Those fools couldn't make it. This is the third time. I, you know, our, our infamous text line that we have. And I, you know, my wife uh, had a friend over. Uh, a friend over. It sounds like she's a little baby, right? Like her friend came over. Um, her friend <laughs> visited from London. So they were out and about doing things. And the, once the kid goes to sleep, I said, hey, guys, want a podcast? So it looked, took, this was the third time today that all of them were like, nope don't feel like it or, or busy. So I just took to Twitter and the best outcome came out of it, which is that you're podcasting with me now. Cause you're on the road, right? Yeah. Uh, we are headed to Florida. We're going to be spending half a month down there playing in different places. And, uh, you caught me on a laundry day. So good for you, man. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, we got a lot to talk about today, but I do want to start out with doing something that I always forget to do, which is thanking our iTunes reviews. So we have a couple uh, a couple that are coming from outside of the United States. So first, we want to thank Kremen2 from Australia for uh, heading, giving us a nice little uh, shout out there. And we also have, uh, let's see, oh, here we go, former Lost Attic from the UK appreciate that we're all former lost well i don't know i think i still consider myself to be a lost addict what do you think matt i'm not a former lost addict i'm still pretty much a lost addict but that's our buddy cute poison 10 on twitter i think oh really okay yeah well hey how you doing that's awesome everybody has so many different names you know what i mean (laughs) it's confusing (laughs) um we also want to thank uh delsky from the uk uh hoopla matt from the uk uh that's awesome getting our brethren over there um psycho berry as well from the uk throwing us some love i think i may oh we got uh okay i may have said this but i'll say it again ninja 12 129 from canada fantastic we get emails um from them as well uh dapa from the uk and oh that's it so that was quite a few that's awesome we really appreciate it thank you so much that does like matt always says it uh it gets people to notice and gets more interaction and just you know that's why we do this thing to get the juices flowing to get ideas coming at us whether it's twitter email itunes review we appreciate it i also do have um we have a couple of itunes reviews 
from the good old U.S. of A., and I will bring those up. Now, I said this one before, Sundial Photography, which I believe is our friend John Wambacher from Twitter. Um, well, I don't know, because that's photography and that's framing. But I think that's the same thing. I'm going to guess that the framing means of the picture. What do you think, Matt? I think that's probably true. Yeah, those are too close to be a coincidence. But I also wanted to mention that John is running for house in Maine, he was inspired by the Bernie Sanders campaign, and he's now running. You can follow him at Wambacher for House. That's W-O-M-B-A-C-H-E-R for the number four House, H-O-U-S-E. And uh, if you're in Maine, you know, there you go. That's, that's awesome. Democracy in action. It's good to see that this uh, contentious political season can lead to fans of this podcast being inspired by our podcast to run for the house of Representatives. What do you think about that, Matt, that we inspired him to do that? I think it's fantastic. If he did it, I just hope that he he doesn't bring wildfire with him to the Capitol. That's all I ask. John, don't do that. (laughs) Uh Oh, he could be the next Joffrey. So we, we, we better keep an eye on this people. (laughs) We got to keep an eye on this. Um, but I also did want to, uh, give a shout out. We have an email for our from our friend uh, Dennis Hoxie, which I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And every time I say that, he tells me I did. So one time I'm going to not. That was probably it. Uh, he has a new uh, baby. So congratulations. Um, and he did send us an email. So I'm just going to jump into it. Right on. Uh, someone had mentioned all the chaos happening in Westeros and I connected it to Littlefinger. One important fact about Westeros right now is that almost all the main houses are finished. There's only a couple of houses that can continue, but seem less likely to. And somehow the original villains of this piece, the Lannisters. uh, Oh, I'm sorry. I jumped ahead there. There's only a couple of the houses that continue, but seem less likely to among them, the original villains, the Lannisters. Um, couple the ending of these houses and the shifts in power across the kingdoms, Iron Islands now re- ruled by Euron, Dorne by Ilarion, King's Landing by Cersei, Winterfell by Stark, actually a Targaryen, right? All this upha- upheaval seems like the perfect setting for Littlefinger to climb that ladder of chaos to sit on the Iron Throne. And I'm sure when we finally get to see the whole picture, we will see that Littlefinger was the one behind the changes in power, maybe even luring Euron back to the Iron Islands, possibly helping the Sand Snakes, um, and then reestablishing his connection with Cersei. I wanted to check this theory with a theory I sent you last year, and in it I found mentioned the possibility of Cersei using the wildfire to burn King's Landing to the ground. Nice. Granted, he also speculated that Daenerys would do the same uh, with the dragons. But it shows how well telegraphed the idea of Cersei using the wildfire was on the show. So now that Cersei is queen and Danny is coming, I'm not sure how all this will work. But the way the story has been told, with little seeds planted all the way back to season one, the quote from Varys stating that Littlefinger would burn down the realm to rule over its ashes seems even more prescient now. Hmm. I have a couple other thoughts about how the story can go in its endgame. And the first is that Danny and her dragons and whatever wildfire is left 
will be used to battle the army of the dead after the wall comes down and John, Brienne, Jamie, Sam, and whoever else has a Valerian steel sword will battle the White Walkers along with using the dragon glass at Dragonstone to arm an army. I think that's what people, I mean, that last part there, I, let, let's take the, um, the little finger part there. What do you think, Matt? Oh, I, I could definitely see Littlefinger at least trying to manipulate as much as he can. I don't know if he's uh, manipulated everything because it still doesn't seem real clear to me if he, you know, what his actual intention in per- in terms of putting Sansa with Ramsay in the first place was. I still almost believe that he, by based on his reaction to what she said, uh, unless we're just meant to be misled, that he really didn't think that all the way through. But other than that, I mean, I, you, inviting Euron to come back, I, it's possible. Um, definitely, the thing is, is that he under he definitely understands for sure that no matter what kind of stuff happens, as much as crazy stuff continues to happen, it leaves him wiggle room to get to other places. And I think that he's not without wiggle room at Winterfell right now. We just have to see what the play is once from here on out. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting to me. Littlefinger at this point, because when we found out that he was the one who had engineered John Aaron's death, and then we find out about Joffrey's death and, you know, and the pieces start coming together and you realize actually how much power he's exerted with virtually no one knowing that he's the one doing it. Um, it was such a revelation and gave him such importance but since that time, he has, you know, he climbs that. It is interesting because he does climb that ladder step by step, you know, he climbs and then he kind of stops, though. He doesn't like just keep on. He's not the chaos. You know what I mean? He's the climber. So he's choosing the pace. But I almost feel like at this point, how much I just don't I don't know how much more manipulation he can really do because I just feel like the forces now so outweigh him, Danny and her army, the white walkers, um, you know, even John has this kind of otherworldly power on his side or, you know, has been resurrected. So that's why I was saying on the last podcast, it's like, it's almost like I feel like we're kind of being set up for actually the opposite to occur and Littlefinger to be proven to be like the ultimate climate change denier. You know what I mean? <laughs> like winter is coming. Everybody sees it. The The whole plot is moving, but he's still trying to do these political machinations that in the end, I think are just going to get him killed. And I wouldn't be surprised to see him, I, I I guess what I wouldn't be surprised to see one of his little plots to just be abruptly ended and him outed and killed. But that's, I don't know, that's kind of the way I feel that character is going. But if he does, given all he's done, if he does rise up and somehow be sitting on the iron throne and like somehow Cersei's gone or Danny's gone or John's gone. I, I don't know. That would, 
I just don't see how could that really happen. Yeah. Well, I, I don't see him being the last person to sit the yeah. phone. I won't discount the possibility of him getting there at some point before the story is mm. concluded. But uh, I, I definitely don't see him as being the last person to sit the Iron Throne. Or maybe even if anybody sits the Iron Throne, maybe he will be the last person, but there won't be any more Iron Throne after he's there. Yeah. Um, and, and the thing for me, and what I love that John pointed out, is the first four seasons of this show, even if we had to get it kind of in retrospect, We've seen how proactive Littlefinger has been, and now he seems much more reactive to me in the last two seasons than we've ever seen him before. I mean, he did obviously give Cersei information about Loras Tyrell, and that's what helped get Loras and Marjorie in trouble. And he did help then turn around and help uh, the Queen of Thorns get Cersei in trouble. You know, and then he's on on top of that, made more promises to Cersei along the way about Winterfell, which, you know, doesn't seem to have panned out either. But he just seems like now he's the game has gotten so chaotic. Maybe it's impossible for him to keep all of the the pieces on the board in play the way he originally intended. Yes. See, that's a great point is that the chaos he created will consume him. Yes, that would be very poetic, you know, and that is kind of what this story, you know, that does often happen. Um, but then people, you know, do climb the ladder and I just, I, I mean, cause I'm just trying to think it out to give this credence as my first inclination was to say the exact opposite, I think is going to happen, but maybe somehow, I guess it depends on, is there, is there also some connection to Danny with Littlefinger that we don't know because with varies there and Tyrion there they're gonna say this guy's a snake and even um even uh the queen of thorns would say the same thing because remember her last interaction with Littlefinger when they met in his brothel remember after it had already been like you just mentioned Mm -hmm. that episode where he each gave them a boy right right um was very terse and she kind of called him out you know if I remember correctly, she did kind of say, like, I don't trust anything you say or, you know, our alliance has been – I mean, she just basically kind of said, like, they don't have an alliance. They just work together to, like, extradite her family from having to be involved with Joffrey in any way, you right. know? Um, so that's what makes me think – you know, I, I definitely think he's going to try to get in between John and Sansa and he'll he'll – if he can, if Cersei's there long enough, he will try to manipulate her, Jamie, in some way. But I just think once Danny hits the scene with all those cats, it's like it's just a stacked deck. Yeah, it, yeah. It seems like eventually, you know, maybe the War of Five Kings was easy to manage because he was dealing with people who were predictable. But he's, you know, unless something has happened off screen that we don't know about then he uh, has really had no dealings with Danny, and so she would be a very unpredictable factor for him. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, And as far as the last part goes, um, the, you know, laying out the the teams getting together and the dragons and Danny fighting the White Wall, I mean, I think that that's that's a pretty standard... um, thought process, but it does lead us to explore whether that, and and I've said before, you know, 
that I just think that that's just incredibly boring to me. But, you know, the guys, um, I don't know if you listen to the Bald Move podcast. Are you a fan of theirs? Uh, I listen to them on occasion. I, ha- I have liked their stuff before. I-, I haven't really listened to a whole lot of their stuff this season, but um, they're, they're, they've always been really good in the years past when I've listened to them. Yeah, they're smart dudes. Um, and they made a good point, which is uh, if at the end um, uh, Danny and the Dragons battle the army of the dead, the wall comes down, you, John, Brienne, you know, they all team up. If that's a good story, then we should be happy with it because this is, has been a great story and we can't expect, um, every, you know, even though this is sold as some kind of anti fairy tale, it does have a lot of elements of that and it's fantasy and, if a good story is told, a good story is told. But I just think that's not going to happen. Well, I think the most interesting twist of this might be to find out, you know, we've now found out that the White Walkers were created by the children of the forest. And one of the most interesting twists is we still don't know what the White Walkers really want. I mean, it appears to be domination, but they're, the only place that they're dominating right now is north of the wall. So we need to find out if if the reason that they're dominating up there so much is because they simply want to get out of there or what their true intent purpose is, because you could end up with sides of our heroes aligning with one side or the other, yeah. which would make things very bittersweet and kind of anti uh, fairy tale. As long as the white walkers motivations are made clear to where, uh, like uh, I think you said on a prior podcast and I tweeted at you, I really em- uh, love the fact that you empathized with the white walkers just a little bit because of the way they were created against their will. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so I, I think there's more to that side of the story that I would love to see. I don't know. I mean, if we do go fairy tale, then we likely won't get that, but I, no other character in this whole world is just black and white. So why should the white walkers be? Yes. Yeah. It's funny. Um, I mentioned to you before we started recording that I was listening to some old history of Westeros and you can get on their feed. Um, uh, they did two different, um, uh, night's watch podcasts. Um, one which with quote unquote spoilers and the other without. So I think at this point it's safe to listen to the spoiler one. Uh, this was in 2012 and our old friend, uh, friggin' Italian was on it, which was, it was bittersweet to hear his voice. Uh, you know, he's passed away and it was just, man, it just bring me all those times he called lost mythos and your all that, you know, we, we, we were on po- many podcasts together. What a great guy. Um, yeah. real great part of the community. And it was, it was so interesting to me. Then I, uh, listen to another one and it started off wishing you happy birthday, dude. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wasn't that, isn't that, I mean, I could, I could like have a little tear right now, but it was really sweet. And, um, you know, he's just, uh, he was such a, uh, like just, he, a very uh, open, honest guy. You know what I mean? He was who he was. You know what I mean? There was no pretense. And he always um, had great thoughts about the books and the TV show. Yeah. Any, anytime he talked to uh, us on Winterfell. So. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, I bring that up to say that um, that even back then, before any of this was known, because this is only in the show, right, that we see their creation. 
because right. um, they kind of mixed book and show stuff, you know, interchangeably, really just kind of talking about it all. Um, it, you know, they had talked about the inconsistencies with the story about how the Night's Watch was formed and how could it be the 13th commander that was the, you know, all these different book bookish type things that are thrown around. Um, and the, 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 you know, the idea was brought up that exactly what you just said, which is nobody in this story. I think that's an actual quote from that podcast created now again, four years later, uh, that nothing is black and white in this story. So why should they be? And it won't just be this immovable force. Um, and it makes me think that the, the best scenario is some sort of brand instead of brand being the one who can kind of get them or brings down the wall or, um, you know, can run secret, psych operations, meaning, you know, like ESP stuff to get the, you know, that he could be the bridge between John and the white walkers and actually unite them together in some way. And someone had a theory. I can't, I can't remember if it was that podcast or one of the 50,000 other ones I fill my brain with, um, that John will become a white walker. Oh, I think it was our podcast. Somebody had thrown that idea out that John will kind of become the new Night King, hmm. and that will that that'll kind of make them stop. And the other thing, the other fun thing they brought up. Now I'm just throwing shit out there. Is um, could it be possible that the wall was built to keep the humans out? Yeah. Yeah, I've heard that too. I've even heard as far as people saying, you know, perhaps the White Walkers built the wall themselves. Yeah. I I, I personally don't believe that one. Um, I, I feel like given the context of the story we have right now, it's like the children of the forest created the White Walkers. Right. Maybe they felt some remorse about it. And so they helped build the wall with Bran the Builder and Giants and whatever to in order to, to contain the White Walkers, to give them a place where they could be happy. Uh, and it's just turned out not to be the case. Do, do you... Now, this made me, this is the part that I found the most interesting, Matt, because I think at its base, the fact, you know, trying to keep the humans out. And we've, we've spoken a little bit about perhaps this whole, the whole problem with the White Walkers really is perhaps owed to something like Mance Raider bringing all of the tribes of wildlings together and they Mm -hmm. basically kind of scaring the White Walkers into action. You know, like they tolerated people past the wall and didn't, didn't, you know, they had their little deal with, with Craster, but they kind of chilled and left everybody alone. But once Mance united all the tribes and they started getting together, they saw an army being built. So they assumed they're, they're going to come after us. Now the people are moving past the wall, you know, that's, that's uh, really interesting. Um, there's a quote from season one. I can't remember the exact episode, but it's where Osha is talking to Lewin. And Lewin, uh, you know, she said, she basically says there are things that, that sleep in the day and hunt at night. And he says, yes, shadow cats and whatever. And she says, no, I'm not talking about those. And he realizes immediately that she's talking about the White Walkers. And he says, those haven't existed for a thousand years. And she said, it isn't that they didn't exist. It's that they were sleeping. 
So it's possible that this creation of, of Manson and, or, you know, Manson trying to unite everybody uh, in order might have awakened them in somehow right. or another. But my whole impression from the television show um, and really from the books as well is that Mance did not try to reunite all of these people until the White Walkers were already active. Interesting. Okay. Okay. That was the threat that united them. I kind of, yeah. oh, that, that make, now that I, that those words popped out of my mind, I kind of remember that. Um, that's interesting. Yeah, I'd have I think to go, you, you find some of that. I'm sorry. I think you find some of that in the conversations between John and Mance, okay. uh, both in season three and at the end of season four when he goes to try and kill him. I should I go rewatch right. that. I was sitting around the other night just on HBO Go on my PS4, just like picking, like looking up. When did they get to the the fist of the first man? Okay, let me go to that. And I was just like watching all different scenes. Um, mm-hmm. That was a lot of fun to do. I should I should do that with with that scene as well. Um, I got two more things for you, okay, that they mentioned on this podcast, which was four years old, but I thought was great. If why are all of the battlements and castles on the wall facing towards the people? If they were trying to keep out the White Walkers, wouldn't they be facing the other way? So they could stop them before they get to the wall, not the other way around. Uh, well, that would also expose them to a greater danger that the wall doesn't protect them from. But they're the Night's Watch. That's well, what, and they send rangers know? out and things like that. Yeah. Um, so that that when they brought that, and I've heard that before, somebody say that, and I thought that was interesting. It's not a slam dunk, you know, sure. because. Exactly. They need to get food in and why wouldn't you put the, put, you know, if you're trying to keep everything, like you don't go on the other side of the, the, the lion's cage in a zoo, right? Like that's not right. where the guys hang out. No, they hang out outside and they enter, give them some food and leave. So that does make sense. But then it kind of made me think of like a, a just another crazy theory of that since on the show, and this is not book stuff, this is show. On the show, we've seen how they were created. We don't know exactly when. We do know that they said to keep the people out, right? They To fight against man. So is it possible that the children and the White Walkers built the wall together and the giants to keep people out? Mm-hmm. And the White Walkers were the original Night's Watch, the children built all those castles and put all of the night and put, and they were actually manned by white walkers. Then when the white walkers turned against them somehow, which I'm guessing happened because of obvious reasons, <laughs> they, uh-huh. um, they then worked with the people and then it became the night's watch and blah, blah, blah. You know, when you take your vow and all that kind of stuff. That's just an interesting idea that hit me. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I can't like say totally disregard it, but um, maybe go back and look at some of those history uh, and lore sections in the Blu-rays of season one and read about the Age of Heroes or or listen about the Age of Heroes and um, 
the the I think there's a little bit about the Knights watching that one too. Yeah, no, I I I remember all that, but I'm what I'm tr- what I'm saying is maybe it's bullshit. Well, it could be, I mean, and and that's the thing. It's like you know, whose stories do you believe? Do you believe old Nan's stories? Yeah, I don't believe any of that stuff dude. about the, them coming out of the long night, or do you believe uh, Lewin saying that they don't exist anymore? You know, like there's a scene in season two with Lewin where he basically rattles off every single magical creature that doesn't exist anymore, and we've seen all of them in the show: dragons, giants, White Walkers. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, so it is a matter of perspective and how the stories have been told down through the line. I will yeah. totally agree with that. Well, I mean, I think it's just, just like in real life, the, to the victor goes the spoils and one the, and one of the most important spoils is being able to write the narrative true of what happened and how would people feel if, um, you know, old Nan or whatever was sitting there telling Bran, well, Bran, you know, the wall was originally built because humans were horrible and they, we came and we killed all these little good creatures <laughs> and we're chopping down all their trees. And it's like, was a complete massacre, you know? Um, and then though they made these white, you know, like if that story was told like that, it would, it reflects badly and it's not full of um, valor and, and, um, and here, like yours and heroes, you know, it's just yeah. dudes who most of them kind of messed up. Well, and, and that's a great thing about the, and uh, about just the perception of history in general, as you well know, Axel, you're a very studied guy. Um, just, and, and I hate to say that, George is being allegorical here, but just think of the children of the forest as being like native Americans. Exactly. Yep. That's, I was going to, I was thinking that that's, that's like, you see, look at that, man. We are, that we're connected through the where podcast network. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was thinking the same thing. It is, you know, I think a lot of the, the more I've been doing some more research into George himself and learning about who he is. Of course I knew he was from New Jersey, which made him, immediately an incredibly intelligent, thoughtful and brilliant human being as I'm from New Jersey. Of course. Uh, And he's from Bayonne too. And look, if you've been in Bayonne, good for George. Bayonne's a tough town. Just it's, it's very, uh, uh, it's not, it's not a bad town. It's just, um, very industrial. You know what I mean? It's a very industrial. It's like the opposite of anything in Game of Thrones, man. So I can see why this was his fantasy world because Bayonne is like hills and like factories. You know what I mean? A couple of good bars. I've, I've hung out in Bayonne, but it's definitely uh, a very like industrial blue collar town, you know? Um, but yeah, I've been doing more kind of researching him and kind of looking at that different allegory and different ideas that he's trying to represent. Um, and I think that what we're talking about overall with people creating like the, the, you know, as some people have said, it's like the children, it's like, you could say that the white walkers are nuclear bombs, you know, Mm -hmm. that were created out of defense, but then can come to be used against you. True. You know, um, or as uh, created for offense, yeah. Um, yeah. But who knows? I mean, all these, all these things, whether this will come to pass 
and 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 what I'm starting to feel, and I and this is an interesting topic to kind of get to, and then we'll jump back into another email. Is are you feeling, Matt, as a book reader, that we are going to get a radically different ending to the TV show than we do to the book? I still don't think that's the case. I, okay. I really don't. I, I think that George will give us or has given Dave and Dan all of the bullet points they need to finish the series. Um, but the journeys will be radically different. I think that there's one or two characters that are still alive in the books that aren't in the TV show, even as George has said himself, that will make a big difference in the story. But that the end of the end result of the story will probably still be pretty much the same. I I, feel, I don't feel like George would let them just run away with the story, you know, uh, even at the benefit of him saying, well, now you can read what the really happened in the books. Cause George isn't like that. He like he would have never given Dave and Dan the opportunity to do this show if he didn't trust them enough to do the show. So um, I, I just feel like, you know, the bullet points are going to be the same. The, but the, the journeys are going to be radically different. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I'm starting to feel like the more I learn about the book, and I'm still not a book reader, and I know it's annoying because I listen to a bunch of these book podcasts and I know all this stuff, but then I don't know enough. You know what I mean? So <laughs> I know, Matt. You, you annoy know, me when you do that, Axel. You I know. annoy me, sir. I know. And, and you know what? That's, I totally accept that. I really do. Because it, uh, perhaps in my own psyche, it's a way of being able to come up with fanciful ideas. But then, because if I read the book, I'd be like, no, that's totally not true. But the book is, what I'm getting to is the book is, I, I do think that there's things that would not, that, that were cut because they're not acceptable to a general television audience. Mm. Right. And a lot of them are magic kind of things. Um, a lot of them are misdirection. A lot of the misdirection seems to have been cut from the uh, book for the TV show. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's going to catch up with them because if in the, okay. So say in the book, um, you know, John comes back and now he can warg into anything and he can green sea like Bran or something. Like if that happened in the book, I feel like people would be could and the show hadn't ex existed, people could kind of say like, "Oh, that's interesting." You know what I'm saying? Like right. It, it could be accepted, but I don't think that would have been accepted in the show. So, I do fear that we will kind of get the typical build up and battle and maybe surprisingly the good guy dies, but then they win. And, you know, my kind of prediction was like, and then, you know, Danny and John die and Sam is King and he sits <laughs> on the iron throne, you know, cause it's like the Hurley, uh, kind of throwback, you know? Yeah. Um, and then in the book, all different stuff happens. So I don't know. That's kind of how I'm feeling. We'll see. I really am. I got to, I'm going to put my foot down and I got to read these books, man, at least listen to them. Um, you know, it, it's got to yeah. happen. I have the first one. I listened to more than half of it. You sent that to me. 
Oh, that's right. I did, didn't I? Yeah. Ah, good. I'm glad you. I'm glad uh, you've gotten at least that far. Let me let me tell you something though that that's fun for book readers uh, from the opposite side looking at the television show in terms of seeing the differences in the way they think. You know, uh, we were looking at the story kind of chronologically the same way that it goes in the books, and it, nothing is really totally chronological in the books either. That there are people are doing different things at different times in the books, just like they are in the television show. But uh, we were looking at, say, like the Euron storyline. And because it didn't show up in season four or season five, right. or what I saw in season five, we were thinking, oh, well, then maybe the Euron story isn't important in the books either because Dave and Dan have cut it out, you know. Um, and and then all of a sudden now back in season six, it comes back. And so now we're all saying, oh, maybe the Euron story is important in the books." So it kind of entices us the other way, too. Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. Um, yeah, uh, so we're we're having fun with all of that. Or, or why, you know, did they just hold off on Jamie going to River Run uh, till this season because, you know, it made more sense? Or did they do it because something important happened there that we didn't realize? Or, or you know, um, it, there's all kinds of questions that we in book readers can see things that were omitted from where they are chronologically in the book story and then placed at a later date in the TV story. And so now it's a question of, are they buying time? Are they waiting for George to give them a couple more bullet points? You know, we're just, we're just trying to figure it all out on our own. So we have fun that way. And the other thing that I wanted to bring up about uh, the earlier email and, and, and our talk about brand, if you think about brand back in season, was it three? When he first met uh, Jojen and Mira, brand acted as a peacemaker between Osha and Mira. Remember how at war they were? Um, and the only reason I know all this stuff is because I've been looking at Bran really hard uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And uh, he acted as a peacemaker. And could that be a, a precedent for what he has to do with White Walkers and man? Yeah, I like that. You know, I, I like that kind of stuff. And it doesn't, for me, for me, I guess it's just more about not so much being surprised or I don't want to see the same old story, but the, I just, it, it's more interesting, you know, it sparks my imagination and I think it's more realistic. Um, and one of the reasons I think goes back to the allegory thing, which is that somebody has got to be Italy in this story, you know, Italy mm. in world war two, that is, a uh, bad kind of the leader or someone else comes on and then they fight for the good, you know, um, there's throughout history. And I know George is a student of has to be to write these books of battles and military strategy and wars. Um, there's, there's countless times when, countries, whole nations have changed course and allied themselves with someone who they never thought they would. That was right. a longtime enemy in order to defeat a common enemy. So perhaps we'll see something like that. Um, even if it's call me crazy, like Cersei and John teaming up for some I'll call reason. You crazy. <laughs> okay. But Hey, listen, <laughs> listen, if Danny, we, I, I'm, I, all that anti 
kind of religious stuff coming from Davos and I think from John subtly too. Um, and definitely from Tormund and the wildlings, they don't like those sorcerers. That's who Danny's aligning herself with now. That's John, true. they, John and his faction cast out the red priestess, you know, we basically saying the ultimate of this is your God is nothing is meaningless to us. Like we're fighting the ultimate battle. The same battle that you claim to be fighting, but you are worthless to us. We're casting you out because you killed Shireen. I think that that is going to make Danny and John be at odds. And that is going to lead to one of them having to kind of take sides with someone who we wouldn't think they would. And maybe that's like, maybe that's Littlefinger, but who knows? I just can't. I'm telling you, I am 100% team Cersei. She is the queen. I'm going to start a podcast. You know how there's Joffrey of podcasts? Yeah. I'm going to start a podcast called Cersei of podcast, but I can't start it because I'm a dude. So I'm going to try to pass this idea off to a female out there. If there's a woman out there, maybe we'll do it together. You know, who cares? We do a new podcast called the Cersei of podcast to show how great she is because I have counted her down so many times. I always thought that she was going to die and she always comes out on top. Even, even when she screws herself. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, just call it the mad queen and you got it right. (laughs) The mad queen, baby. Yeah. So, (laughs) I mean, I think that would be kind of fun. That would be fun, but let's get to another email. Um, Because I think Matt is like, all right, Axel, go read the books. Tell me the Cersei's going (laughs) to team up with John. I I totally agree with you that, you know, it seems like her, you know, her coin doesn't necessarily always uh, end heads up, but it never ends up in the gutter. That's the weird thing. That's the right. That's her deal is she can screw everything up, but she just doesn't die. You know, she's just not going away. And now she is. She's the queen. And it's, it's crazy world we live in there yeah. in Westeros. Um, so this podcast, and it happened to me again, that I forgot or couldn't remember that Ninja, who gave us that review, is Jim from Canada. All right. So Jim's been waiting the whole time listening to the podcast going, that was me, idiot. Um, yeah. Thanks us for doing the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening, buddy. Uh, the season finale was everything I could have hoped for. It had a great, great pace to it, and a lot of stuff was wrapped up. It feels more like an intermission instead of a cliffhanger type of episode. That's a great point. Mm-hmm. It re- that really is true. That, that that's great. That made me feel. That made me feel like I was in an old. Remember when there used to be intermissions in some movies? Yeah. Uh, they never do that anymore. No. Uh... Was there an intermission in Lincoln? I can't remember. Mm. Spielberg's the type that would do that. Yeah. You know, like when the real change, give everybody 10 minute break. But um, uh, yeah, that's cool. That's kind of, that's a very good call. Uh, Love, love, love the opening with the King's Landing plot while watching it. I felt like I had seen this style of directing before and then it hit me. The Godfather. This is, um, as the ball move guys would say, a little dry pie. A lot of people have called. And you, you didn't you say something about this? 
uh, I think we were talking more in musical terms, but yeah, uh, uh, Glenn, uh, our friend Glenn Ewing yes. sent me an email saying that it sounded a lot like, uh, 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 or it seemed a lot like the Godfather. Uh, he paralleled it to, um, uh, Scalaria, uh, in the church. Oh yeah. Kind of yeah. Juxtaposing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what a lot of people are saying while the hits were taking place, this ceremony was happening, you know? Um, if you remember, it's the, uh, the baptism scene where Michael Corleone says today, I settle all family business. Um, you guys covered most of my feels about the episode. So not much to add there, but a theory, the hound is making his way up North and he's going to run into Sansa. I'm assuming Sansa doesn't know how Littlefinger betrayed her father, but the hound was in the King's court when Littlefinger turned on Ned. I really hope the show brings the three characters together for that possible scene. Do you think this will happen? I would love if that would happen. I, I, I don't, would that be almost too easy of an end for Littlefinger though? Uh, I don't think it could be his end unless, unless that's what I'm talking about. And the hound just cuts his fucking head off. You know what I mean? (laughs) And I was, and like, but I think it's de- they, it's definitely gonna. That's a definite. That's one of those things where I read that, and like I don't even think that's a theory. I think that's just a great plot point. That if they didn't explore that, it would be only because there is too much other stuff going on, you know. And then yeah. I could forgive it, but it's so, um it's so directly related to the trust issues that Sands is having with Littlefinger mm-hmm. and John and all that, that I think bringing Ned back into it and reminding her that John is her family, that she's a Stark, you know what I mean? That all that they've been through, um, I think would kind of maybe seal the deal on that, but then maybe it gets quagmired into something else. But I like that. Yeah. Well, if Ken from Cripples, Bastards, and Broken Things is listening, first of all, we miss you, Ken. Come back. Second of all, um, I can just see him grimacing because all of the Sand Sand fans are going to come back out of the woodwork. <laughs> <laughs> what's that? I don't. What's what? what? Uh, the people that uh, ship Sandor Clegane and Sansa uh, Stark. Oh gosh, I didn't even remember that. Yeah, really? it happened a little bit in season two. I do. Yeah. When he kind of when he saved her, right? When he saved her, and then the the scene in the bedroom when he was leaving the Blackwater, mm. and he offered to take her out of there, right. and wanted to kiss her, I think, or something like that. Yeah, I, I I should. That's another thing I'd like to watch again, um, because I don't remember him as wanting to kiss her. I remember her as thinking that, but him making absolutely no gestures towards it. Yeah, probably. I I, I don't know. And then there is that whole thing with him saying to Arya at the end of season four when he was laying there dying and she wouldn't kill him, you know, could have had your sister. It would have been the happiest moment of my life, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. And I think, oh, I remember that. Yeah. Oh, I remember that because I heard that on a podcast that's Mm. yet to be released. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, that strikes me again, though, as him saying something that he would expect someone to think of him rather than something he actually thought, mm, you know, fair enough. and that says a lot about that character because he believes that everyone hates him. 
You know? Well, as long as we're on the topic of the Hound, Axel, what are the chances of Arya running into the Hound before uh, he would get to Sansa? Well, I guess that depends on who we think Arya is going to kill next. Yeah. Um, she's at the Twins. As far as we know, the uh, the Brotherhood Without Banners, I think, are still south of the river called the Red Fork which I think is one of the rivers that leads to River Run. And then you have to use the twins to cross in some places. So, uh, yeah, I guess it would – maybe if she was headed south to get Cersei. Who's left on her list? Just Cersei? Uh, and the Mountain. The Cersei yeah, and the Mountain, Cersei I think, are the, the only mountain. two left. Yeah, that's true. Because who – oh, my God. She had a long list. But yeah, yeah, that is true. That's the only two people. Uh, oh, Melisandre. Well, yeah. Well, she never said that she was going to kill her. Melisandre said that they were going to meet again. But I can imagine that she would want to kill Melisandre simply because Melisandre took Gendry away. Yeah, because she took. I thought she did. I thought that she said. Oh, it. did she say yeah, Melisandre? I thought, was I thought that it, like in I, season four or five? I don't remember. But yeah. it wouldn't even matter. You know what I mean? Like she could be killing her and say you took Gendry. you know what i mean it would be like okay that's why she killed her yeah. um but i mean i could definitely see that happening i but i i don't know it's it strikes me as maybe they're going to do one of those passing in the night things where Arya's going to see him and then hide or just keep Ooh. to herself or she'll have another face on and um she just won't expose herself to him yeah because I think that it just, I don't know, it's going to get mushy. It could get mushy with her, you know, uh, because she it has become this killing machine. Mm -hmm. She's nothing now. She's devoid of, of feeling or, you know, emotion, really. She, she acts on, on that, just this list she has. And uh, her devotion, I guess, to her family, which uh, is interesting. Um, but if she did come in contact with the Hound, could that make her recoil from wanting, you know? I just don't know if we're going to see that, you know? Yeah, good point. She might be too far down the road for that, but it could happen. Um, we have one last uh, email, and this is about Arya. And this is from Rich. Thanks for writing in, Rich. Love your podcast. <clears throat> Excuse me. In case you do a season recap, I wanted to help answer your concerns, questions regarding why Yakin let, I like to pronounce it like that, let Arya leave the H-O-B-A-W. At the end of season three, when he gives her the iron coin, he says to her, a girl has many names on her list. On her lips. Yep. Let me start again. A girl has many names on her lips. Joffrey. Cersei, Tywin Lannister, Ilin Payne, the Hound, names to offer up to the Red God. She could offer them all, one by one. So to me it is clear that he never intended her to be no one. He was simply giving her the opportunity to get the training so that she could kill people on her list. That is my thought exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that is my thought exactly, and... Um... I, I've recently really looked hard into Arya and found that exact same evidence and tried to find a way to justify that way all the way through five and six. And I think that I can 
find it feasible. It may not be something that everybody agrees with, but I, I think that's a very plausible thought. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, and um, I think that this, it, like I said, I, this, I liked this part of her story and I thought it made total sense. I just didn't like the getting stabbed part and I thought some of it was repetitive, but I'm not going to let that get in the way of seeing that they did craft a very interesting story here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't want, that's why I got to kind of push that stuff out, you know? Um, and this does make total sense. And I wanted to mention one thing here, names to offer up to the red God. Right. Instead of the many face God. And I think that that is because Jock and Hagar, as we know, told Ari at the beginning of season two, that he was from lease. Um, I don't know if anywhere else except Bravos where the many faced God is worshiped the house at the, except at the house of black and white personally. I mean, I haven't seen any evidence of that being said in any other television episode or anything else. So I think what we've learned is by playing the game of faces as they did in season five, that Jockin even right up to the end when he gave Arya the coin was still playing the game of faces and had to be true to the red God, which would be much more common in lease than in Bravos. I don't know, Matt. I got to disagree with you here. I got to disagree with you. All right. And um, the reason why is because if he was playing that part, then why did he also, then why did he say, I'm from Bravos, here's a coin, come and meet me and I'll train you? He didn't say, I'm from Bravos. He never said, I'm from Bravos. He always said, I'm from Lease. And he could have become a faceless man from Lease the same way Arya could become a faceless man from Westeros. Interesting point. Okay. Interesting point. Because you know I just want to jump and say that <laughs> that this is all a part of some kind of plan. You know what I mean? That they yeah. knew who Arya was and the reason he kind of slipped up here, because when he's there, he can, uh, maybe he can be more honest or maybe he slipped up and said right. the red God, or maybe the writers did. And then they decided later that they didn't want him to that reveal yet that he, that's what these people are. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, now maybe I agree with you. Yeah. Well, yeah, it just when he talks to her, <laughs> when she's getting the water at the beginning of season two, or near the beginning of season two, when she first discovers that he's in Heron Hall, he says Red God there too. And even in the very first time that they ever spoke at the beginning of, I guess, episode two of season two, uh, he said that he was from Lease. And I just think that that's just all part of the game of faces. The same way that the Waif said, you know, she's a girl from Westeros whatever. Uh, but what part of that do you believe and what part am I lying about? I, I think mm. that that's the same thing. That's interesting. That's interesting. Now let's play a thought experiment here, Matt. Oh, what happens if he did mean the red God? What implications does that have? It means R'hllor is one hell of a bastard. Yeah. Yeah. That's all that means. It just means that R'hllor just, you know, the, the whole concept of all these religions, um, and you and I have talked about this before, and you sent me a great email, which I'll, I'll put in a, in a future podcast about, 
magic, where it comes from and everything. And right now, um, Podcast Winterfellow is exploring a book theory about how really there are no religions. There are no gods. It's all just the same magic. And it's been disseminated throughout the world. And different cultures have worshipped it as in the form of different religions. But the uh, the whole idea of, of Relore has been, uh, it's much more of, how do, how do I put this in an allegorical sense? It's almost more of a crusade style kind of thing in the fact that if you're not with us, you're against us and we're going to burn you, you know, and, and maybe even the faith of the seven is a little bit like that. I, I relate the faith of the seven kind of to the Catholic church as well. You know, it's like, if you're not with us, you're against us and we're going to punish you, but we're just going to make you walk around the streets naked. We're not necessarily going to burn you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think there's a lot of religions have gone down that road, <laughs> well, yeah. you know, but I just, I'm just trying to figure out, um, if, if the, if the house of black and white, I mean, he did give us the clues about, um, that it was founded, that Bravos was founded by ex-slaves, right? Right. And they not, so then that could mean even like the bank of Bravos. And now if they say, if they are kind of, you know, secretly hail Hydra, it would be that kind of thing, right? <laughs> Where they are kind of saying, no, look, we're, look, we're kind of like this separate thing. We do death. You know what I'm saying? That's just our thing. We're not old gods. New. They have all the gods there, right? Didn't they have all the gods in the, uh, in the, right. um, in the, in the house of black and white, right? Yes. Um, so if they are secretly, no, we're, for the red God, I don't know what really implications that has, uh, towards anything because we have also seen where the red, you know, Melisandre thinks Stannis is, is the prince. Now it's John, but over there they think it's Danny. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, it's not like they're cohesive. True. So it re- I don't, I don't, I guess, I guess it's kind of fun thing that I kind of like what you're saying because if I am to follow your logic with that, there, there is further evidence of that the farther down the story of Arya we go, learning about exactly what you said, becoming no one mm-hmm. or becoming someone and, fa- and having to faithfully do that 100 million, 10%, you know, up to, up into the point that you're right. He would still kind of go along with this story at, while giving her the coin and all that kind of stuff, you know, that's interesting. Or he's telling the truth of himself, like you said, which is, that is where he's from. Yeah. And maybe that is where, uh, the face that is Jock and Hagar, cause who knows what Jock and Hagar really looks like, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, it could be an old lady for all we know. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know if, if that's the face that he chooses to wear the most. And, and, um, but maybe that persona, which is just a face on a wall was a Jock and Hagar from Lisa at one point. Mm. Well, he just took like the best looking face, you know, Jockin's a pretty good looking dude. Yeah, so, Tom's Tom's got game. Yeah. And then uh, that guy, it's such great casting because yes. the guy that plays 
jocking for only the moment that he turns around and looks at Arya after giving her the coin has the most fascinating face. It's so strange and interesting, and it almost looks like a mask mm-hmm. itself, you know? And it does, doesn't it? Yeah. It's, it's really great casting because I looked that dude up and he had been in something else. Like just, I don't know, I maybe mean, played like a bad guy in a movie or some, some, uh, some foreign, uh, like, you know, John Travolta thriller or something, you know, oh, um, right on. but, uh, that was really great casting, but yeah, I don't know if really that, that, that catch there with the red God, um, also he could have said anyone, because as we come to see later too, the house of black and white is really just accepts you believe what you believe, but really they're all one. True. I'm just contending that uh, lease uh, being where it's located in Essos. And this is kind of from history and lore stuff. Yeah. More so than, than what's ever been evidenced in the television show. Um, Just seems to be more of the worshipers of like, in, in like in its relation to Volantis. And we saw how strong the, the, the red religion is in that region of the world. Uh, it would seem more believable if he just said many faced God, you know, I believe in, in death, the many faced God or whatever that would set off alarm bells to people to tell him, well, he's not from lease, you know, mm. and maybe he's taken, maybe he's taken into effect. Who knows how old that face is? Is that face brand new? Somebody might know that guy from lease or something like that. Yeah. But it's interesting that, because he could have said that to Arya and it would have been cool because she had already had, uh, the, what's it? Theorial. I always, oh man, Theorial Pharrell. What's his name? Serial Pharrell. Okay. Serial Pharrell. Um, you know, what do we say to the God of death? Not today. Right. So if he had said, you know, the, the, the many faced God or the God of death to Arya, she wouldn't have cared. So it is good that it's kind of cool. I like your idea that he's just keep he's keeping in character or, you know, that's kind of cool. I dig. Yeah. It. Well, and not only that, but just, just think about what you just said. And I love this because I never thought of this. What does Sirio say to tell Arya or tells Arya to say to death? Not today. What does Arya end up doing saying to the house of black and white, the home of the God of death? Not today. Yeah. Great. That's awesome. You're right. You're right. He's got to come back at some point, but if he doesn't, it's okay. Cause he was an awesome <laughs> character for what he did. Can I ask you, did, did the same, the same thing happen in the book that he just kind of like off screen kind of. Yeah. The chapter, the Aria chapter continues with leaving him behind and we never hear of him again, except okay. that uh, we do know that Marin Trant shows up in the court and that, yeah. it, which everybody assumes means that he's dead or assumes means that he was, taken captive and is still rotting in the black cells or that, you know, he escaped. Uh, I know there's a lot of serial equals Jock and Hagar theories out there. I, I've become to disbelieve most of them, but I, I, I can't totally discount them either. Yeah. I don't know if it was true. I'd be like, cool. If they never say anything, I would be like, cool. And if they kind of, if they ever show something to show that it's not true, I wouldn't, it doesn't really matter. And I like the mystery of it too. Right, it's interesting. Right. It's one of those lost kind of things. Just leave the yeah. answer open for interpretation. Oh, no. Lost answered every question, Matt. Come on. <laughs> oh, we could go up for another hour and a half on that. Let's, 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 let's move on. Um, <laughs> all right, Matt. So that's all the emails we have. Um, 
you want to talk a little bit about season six in general, like general thoughts or anything you kind of want to bring up? Yeah, actually, uh, something that maybe your listeners might want to chime in with you if you guys get around to doing like a, a, a thorough wrap up is just how did you guys feel about season six um, in general as compared to other seasons? I found uh, I'll just say this. I found this to be one of the most exciting seasons of Game of Thrones so far, um, just personally. Uh, and maybe that's because, you know, for a, a lot long time I've had, you know, book expectations to measure up to or to try and compare with. And this time I just didn't know what was going to hit me when. And when we did see things that was in the books, it was cool. Uh, when we got some confirmations that George may never do, he may never do a direct confirmation of R plus L equals J in the books. Uh, but the show went ahead and, and, and drove that nail in and uh, loved that. Also killed a couple of theories about maybe Mira and that kind of thing, uh, at least as far as the show goes. Who knows as far as the books go. Um, but I, I just love the whole just level of excitement, the new things happening. Um, I thought the acting was great. I thought some of the best direction in the show ever happened. I thought some of the best cinematography in the show ever happened. Um, it, you know, I still hearken back to in terms of a, a great tight story. Uh, the first season being the best because now the story is scattered and it's hard to get things kind of. Uh, you know, in play and interconnected. But since some of the characters are coming back together um, this season, then then it's even more fun because you get to see not only some new interactions, but some reintroductions as well. And I, um, I I've rattled on enough. But what did you think? You know, if you looked at season six and kind of just the general feeling that you got out of it um, in compared to the other seasons, how would you kind of rate it, I guess? Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm traditionally terrible at this stuff. Heath is the, is a good rating kind of putting things in order list guy. Yeah, that's um, true. <clears throat> excuse me. I would have to say that this was a very interesting season because I actually was more, definitely more spoiled than I ever had been because, and it wasn't just listening to, um, to, uh, spoilery type of book. I mean, book stuff. When I say spoilers, I mean book because I never will ever do production spoilers. Mm -hmm. That is just something that I, I like, I mean, you're getting back to like lost stuff here. Which I just think that that's silly when you're going out of your way to like go on to sets and take pitch. That's just ridiculous. Just watch the effing show. You know what I'm saying? Like, to me, that's taking it a bit too far, though. I do understand people run websites about it and people like it. So that's cool. But, um, the book, as far as book spoilers, and one of the reasons is, is because what you've mentioned earlier is I had heard about Euron like couple, like a year ago or so. People were like, they can't do that now. You know what I mean? Right. Like there were stuff, there's some stuff that happened, Jamie in the Riverlands, um, you know, uh, the, with the blackfish or the castle, so, like I knew fragments of these things because on some podcast or something that somebody wrote, they were like, well, they can't do this now. Right. You know? Um, and so that kind of spoiled me. So I was that, that kind of gave me a little bit of a sour personal experience, mm. um, a little bit. 
Uh, and I, that stands out because I found the rest of it to be very awesome and maybe my favorite season since season one. I know. So I started with the bad because that's like the bad I have to say. I mean, yeah, there was some stuff in the Arya thing that kind of annoyed me because I felt that it was, uh, it was production mistakes mm-hmm. when it, co- when you come down to it. I, I think that the Arya thing is going to be a production mistake when they finally admit it. And if they don't, who cares? I don't need them to admit it when they finally admit it, you know, like <laughs> when the emails come out, uh, <laughs> I don't really care. Um, yeah. so, th- but that just kind of annoyed me because I love the show so much, but so much of this stuff I loved, there was just, I didn't find there to be big storylines that were really bad. And even the stuff that at first glance I found, found to be a little sandwiched, be it the Dorn stuff or some of the Iron Island stuffs in the first like two episode two to five, maybe, you know, mm-hmm. um, later I felt paid off very well. And if I hadn't have known about things, I feel like they did set that up very well. I think it was a really good season. Um, and I think they're at the top of their game. And I think it should be a really good season because they've been doing this a long time. And even the production values, the effects, everything like you were talking about, the, whether it's the music, the costumes, the casting, the locations, it's just so top notch everything looks real. There is never a time when you're watching game of Thrones that they look like they're on a set, you know? And look, I love lost, but there are whole episodes of lost that look ridiculously like they're on a set. And that's because they had, they were on a network TV budget, you know, it's a lot less. Um, and they had to do more episodes and stretch things out. And, you know, they had to do those episodes where they're in a room. Um, but game of Thrones is their rolling man. And I think the way I like the, I like letting go of the convention of time and travel. I'm happy right. about it. It, th- I don't know if they were as graceful about kind of sliding into home as they could have been on that. Cause they've always not cared a ton about it, but this season they just completely threw it out the window. Um, and I like, I kind of like that, you know, the greatest example of course being varies. Sure. Uh, in, and, and also little finger getting from the veil to the wall in like three seconds, um, you know, things like that. But Overall, I liked that because that is telling me that next season we can have an episode where something is started and finished in the same episode. Right. You see what I mean? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, You know, I've had a lot of fun over the years, ever since season two, uh, calling, you know, the compression of time, Little Fingers Teleporter. Mm-hmm. But... uh but in, in essence, um, this can now be used as a great advantage yep. uh, to to making every episode exciting, as opposed to just um, you know having. You know, I think Brian Cogman tweeted 
um, a few weeks ago after the season finale. He said, you know, do you really want Arya on a boat for four episodes? No. You want you want to see her kill right. Waller Frey. Yep. Yep. So, um, you know, so all of that really makes sense to me. Uh, and that means that you can never, you know, you can go into an episode and you can never tell yourself, well, this is just going to be a, a, a peace moving episode. Yeah, that, you know, that's great. There's yeah. always a chance of the expectation that something big can happen at any time. Yeah. And that's that's fantastic. And it makes it feel like when I think about the finale, I feel like it was like five episodes long. You know, because they are what you upon reflection and kind of while you're in, you know, you kind of sink into the episode as you're watching it, time and space kind of expands uh, in front of your eyes. And the way I was kind of describing it before is that instead of being a drama, it was like a docudrama where you're hitting the point, you know what I mean? Like, here's the uh, Revolutionary War. Now they're signing the um, Constitution. Now, do you know what I mean? Like that yes. kind of thing. And, but they're, I think they didn't perfectly pull it off. But if that's the way they attempt to go forward with the style of episodes, I'm all for it. Because that means that we can get through tons of plot. And we don't, you're exactly, we don't have to have Arya spend three episodes blind and then, an, you know, and then two episodes fighting in a, in the, you know, prehistoric MMA or whatever medieval <laughs> MMA, you know, you don't need that. You can show her fighting once and then you can jump ahead two months in the same episode. And I'm totally cool with that. I'm really totally cool with it. Um, and, uh, that's what makes me excited. It took, you know, I think if you look back, if you listen, even what was it two weeks ago, um, to the initial reaction, I was very uneasy with it. I was like, oh, I don't know. But the more I settled in and rewatched it and rewatched portions of, I haven't rewatched the whole season, but I've watched every episode at least two times, always some of them three or four times. Um, it resonates more with me that this is a style they're going for. And it makes me happy to hear you say, because I don't follow um, like all the writers and guys to hear mm -hmm. that that chatter is happening. I stay away from that because I'm scared of production spoilers, you know, Sure. Um, but I'm happy to hear them kind of saying outwardly, look, we're just throwing that shit out the window, dude. I'm sorry. Littlefinger is going to do a month long or month and a half long journey in one episode. And that's what's going to happen. And, but the problem that I have again, and I, I still feel like they didn't break the rule. I may have thought felt like it upon in the initial reaction, but I watched the episode again. I don't think they broke it. I don't think the Arya thing was a trick. I think it works because of Varys, because of Littlefinger, because of the other uh, times that this has happened and this is the way the story is being told to us. Um, but what I, what I hope they don't do, and I don't conceive of them doing it, is using it as a trick. You know what I mean? Right. Where John gets a letter... 
and it says, you know, like this person's coming or something. And then someone slits his neck, the, like the next episode or the, I mean, the next scene, some, something else happens that makes us believe that that letter was sent from so, you know what I'm, you know what I mean? Like right. I'm just yeah, using you don't, another you don't example. Want the compression but, of time to lead to conclusions. Yes, that shouldn't be made. exactly. And then to trick us. Right. And then we go, oh, well, wait a second. Then actually a little bit of time passed. That would annoy me, you know, um, mm-hmm. because I'm, uh, I'm letting my, I'm allowing my suspension of disbelief. It's different because, you know, if, if, the, if events like this occurred um, in a show like Lost, say, we keep on mentioning it, but it, you couldn't do that because they were on the island for a specific number of days. Right. So they, when they introduced these things, they had to introduce another way that it had happened, right? Which we know of because we watch the show, but they are not, if they don't introduce something like that, then they can't mess with the time to trick us for plot points. Right. Because then it is, they, then basically it's like kind of exploitative of the audience, you know, it's oh, and like, they've never been exploitive. Of oh, oh. I knew I should have chosen my words better, Matt. <laughs> uh, no, I've it was like I've swallowed that pill. I'm all good, bro. Dude, it was coming out of my mouth and I was like, oh, shit, man. I, I didn't. Oh, Matt's going to think I'm saying that. No, I didn't mean it that. But I meant, but I would feel that way, yo. And I wouldn't, you know, I'm not saying I'm quitting the podcast. I'm just saying, right. I would say this is bullshit because that we have been told of a way of storytelling and we're accepting it and I'm listening to the podcast and I'm looking on Twitter and I think everyone's coming to this same conclusion. Now, wouldn't you agree that the fan community has kind of come to the conclusion? Okay. This is how the show is going to be told. Yeah. And that's certainly the, the hope that that's the way the show is going to be told uh, just because that, like I said, we'll get more exciting moments, but I totally agree with your concern. They can't use it as a way to deteriorate the plot in any way, shape, or form, or our own conclusions about the plot, or to, or to use it in, in the classic, let's say, like supernatural misdirection. Wait, it's a ghost. Wait, no, it's not the ghost. Wait, it's the bones. No, wait, it's the ashes. You know, you can't do it that way. Yeah. Um, you got it's got it's got to have uh, a cohesion to it, even if it is compressed. Yes, exactly. You know, because we have to accept it for all parties. So if, if Littlefinger can do it, then John can do it. Then Arya can do it, you know, then all right. the stories can do it. But if they pluck one of those stories out and manipulate it time-wise, then it throws that whole agreement that we've made. You know what? Game of Thrones is like society, Matt. We make an agreement with government. <laughs> we're going <laughs> to allow you to impinge on some of our freedoms so we have others and we can enjoy a more just and peaceful society. So I want to coexist with Game of Thrones and I accept this. So I'm going to trust them and I am super excited about it. So long winded answer. I really, so far this season may be number two for me. Um, I think in the past I had 
thought season one and season three maybe were my favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is always something. Don't you miss the the real musky darkness of the first and second season? You know what I mean? Like it just seemed like the show was a little grittier and dingier that first True. season. Do you think that that's primarily due to the locations that they had yeah, to choose yeah. back then? Yeah. Cause I mean, it was all, and I think that they were trying to show, they were a little more heavy handed with trying to show us how real this world was. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's good. They should be because we were just getting to know it. Yeah. Except when you look at that first scene of Ned in King's Landing and you see palm trees and you think, Monaco. <laughs> I never, I never, I never saw that. Really? Yeah, <laughs> oh, uh, go God. to the very beginning of I think it's Lord Snow, the third episode of season one. Oh, maybe maybe King's Landing was a little bit more Mediterranean in the first season. I don't know. Was it? Yeah. Are palm uh, trees in the Mediterranean? Somebody is laughing at me right now because I'm the worst person with geography, like knowing things like I this. don't know anything about the botany and geography no, either. I, I just either. know that there were palm trees in King's Landing. Uh maybe they shot with Ned. Um you know I want to say this, Matt. One of the things that I watched was the uh, the like the beginning of the first episode, and something dawned on me. You know, everybody wants to blame someone for what's going on in the world of Westeros and Planetos, and it really is all Ned's fault. Because if he had listened to the dude that was saying the White Walkers came back. Yeah. This would be a totally different story, wouldn't it? He wouldn't have even, well, if John Aaron died, he would have been like, I'm sorry, we have bigger business right now. Yeah, I was going to say, he, he'd have probably told Robert, we got, the, the, the White Walkers are coming, we got to work on this. Go find somebody else to be your hand of the king. Bring me, bring me men. It's interesting. But one thing, I didn't watch the whole rest of the episode, but um, isn't there a point, and it's totally off track, but isn't there a point that he he says that to Benjin and that's why Benjin goes out. So didn't Ned in effect, even though he killed the guy, didn't he also say it to Benjin? And then that's what kind of gave Benjin the impetus to go out on this hunting part, as well as other things that were happening at the wall. Oh, let's see. Um, I don't know if it was a direct cause for, for Benjamin, because I think Benjamin would have had to go go ranging anyway. That was part of his duties. He was first ranger, but um, he did definitely during that dinner. He mentioned, you know, I know that Benjamin brought up direwolves south of the wall, uh, and my brother is now hand of the king. Winter is coming, and then uh, Ned joked, "Winter is coming." Um, and they they talked. They did talk. I think a little bit about why Will deserted, but I can't remember mm. if. If uh, that would have, I I don't know if I ever came to the conclusion that that was what made Benjamin go out and range. I think he had to do that anyway. Oh, okay. I thought that's why he went so far, but I'll have to watch it again. It's always fun to rewatch, baby. Um, So yeah, season six, loved it, man. Very, very happy with it. Hope that this kind of storytelling continues. We had a lot of uh, old faces reappear. Um, and like you said, it's probably going to lead to more reunions, which makes us look forward to next season. I don't have too much, you know, there was no Dorn this season, you know, 
that I think we can just unequivocally say was terrible. Right. You know, but had some good moments. I mean, I still think the Doran stuff is kind of fun. And I think for 95% of the viewing audience, if we were in a room and we're like, wasn't that Doran shit stupid? They'd be like, what do you mean? What? That was fun. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, you know, it, <laughs> it's, easy, it's easy to have. We're a little too deep uh, especially, sometimes. Especially for book readers. Let me just put it this way. For book readers, it's easy to. It's much easier to be disappointed in the Dorn storyline as a whole than it is uh, for for I think just television show only watchers. But uh, you know, uh, and I haven't gone back. I mean, I watched the last what three or four episodes of of season five uh, all in a row, but there really wasn't that much Dorn in there. Uh, Maybe in episode seven, and then of course in episode ten. But I didn't. I didn't quite get the zonkiness out of it. I think as a lot of people did, um, maybe some of it was a little overdone, but on the other hand, um, think of how little comedy there really was, even with Tyrion in season five, you had to get it somewhere and maybe that was intentional. Yeah. Oh no. And definitely, uh, the brawn stuff is great. I mean, that's what I meant when I was like, with great moments and, you know, it's great to see them and yeah, it was fun stuff. I mean, it's, you know what? It's probably, I would most likely blame Donald and Tim for being downers about everything. <laughs> well, but... I think that Donald probably hated, <laughs> hates Sansa more than he even hates Dorn, but I, oh, no. I won't speak for him. No, don't talk about Sansa. Um, <laughs> but yeah, season six was great, man. Really right fantastic. On. I don't know what it doesn't, when it comes to mind um, about highlights, the last two episodes were incredible. Um you know, it's just a lot, a, a lot did happen. And, um, you know, when I look, when you look back, you know, your perspective does change. And even like those conversations with Tyrion seem much more interesting to me that I actually want to go back and watch it, that those uneasy conversations with Masande and Grey Worm, yeah. they, I kind of like, like it that they did that. I, I think it kind of, shows balls um but a lot of cool stuff man i know yeah i I was gonna say you know as far as Tyrion goes i mean if there's any one wasted scene that i think there ever was for Tyrion, it was that uh that uh season four uh beetle scene i never have found the significance of that except just to make this the oberon fight shorter um but the oh, rest the of the crushing like the, oh, you mean the story about his cousin crushing yeah, the beetles? Kukunk, smashing beetles. Um, yeah, that one. That one just seemed kind of a waste to me. But uh, the stuff with Masande and, and Grey Worm, in a context of, of trying to be comical, and also just to prove, you know, the awkwardness of these people from all these different places, you know, and these different kind of mindsets having to sit in the same room together. They don't have a choice. They got to yeah. work this. They got to work this town. So I, I thought that was okay. Yeah. Oh, hey, I, I have something that I had forgotten about. Again, t- total uh, total sidetrack to overall thoughts of season six, but just picking things from it. Um, what do you think? I think I mentioned this on the last podcast. I don't, I can't even remember now about the theory or the thought of Benjamin working with of the white walkers and basically 
being there on the other side of the thing to kind of lead them out? Or did we even talk about this on the podcast with you? Did I, I bring this up? I don't remember. What do I you think rem- about that idea? Well, I, if we hadn't seen Benjamin tearing a whole bunch of whites apart, I, I would give it some credence. But since we saw that, I, I just kind of feel like he's just Brand's guy. Okay. I mean, he could do. They they don't care about them anyway. You know what I mean? They're de- they're. It's not like they're actually losing men. That's true. You know what I mean? Like they would. I could see them in. I mean, he, the Night King, uh, had them d- jump off a cliff. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think what it, I think what it boils down to, Axel, and and the real thing is, is you know why do the White Walkers want Bran so bad? Yeah. What made him reach out in that vision and, and put the mark on Bran? Is it so that he can hope to? Is it so that the Night King can hope to lead his troops across the wall, or is there? Do they need Bran for some other reason? And that may again be one of those things that turns the way we feel about the White Walkers completely on its head. Mm, that's interesting. You mean like if it's not to get through the wall? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, obviously the Three Eyed Raven had warded all this magic around the tree, um, and. The White Walker did kill the Three-Eyed Raven uh, once they were able to breach through. But uh, do they intend to kill Bran? I mean, are, is even though they are chasing him in the way that they are and we are fearing them, logic and, and Occam's Razor says, well, obviously they want to kill Bran. But I don't know. They, that Those are the kinds of twists that Game of Thrones presents that all of a sudden everything's on its head. So yeah. I'm just kind of waiting to see what happens. I, I don't have any theory or speculation one way or the other to be perfectly honest but i'm just wait you know i'm excited i it's it's going to be forever it's going to feel like forever to get to <laughs> seven because you know I've, i had i just it's not even that i expect to see something or i don't expect to see something or i want to theorize it i just want to see what happens next that's, yeah. a, that's the way i felt ever since i got into season six finally yeah man it's a good feeling it, it will be oh you know they're saying now that it's going to be longer yeah yeah, yeah. But they'll have shorter seasons, so they could still, I mean, they could start a little later, you know, say towards the end of April, the beginning of May, and still wrap up around the same time. So hopefully, um, the high, the next hiatus between uh, seven and seven B or seven and eight won't seem as bad as the this one is going to seem. Now, let me ask you this because I, you, I think you know where things are shot and stuff like that, right? Uh, some locations, yeah. Were they? I thought that that maybe was a joke, like kind of like, um, like an in-house, like a, what do they say? Inside baseball kind of thing when they, when, um, who was it? Either one of the Dan or Dave said that they, it was going to, the season, it was going to take longer because they have to wait for places to get cold. Right. I mean, that that's not really true, right? They don't, they can shoot anywhere and make it look. You know, they, I mean, they put up like wall size green screens. They can, yeah. they don't need to wait for it to be snowing somewhere. Uh, that, yeah. It, that's, it, I thought it was it like, never stopped them. it's never stopped them before. Yeah. That's why I thought you it was know. like, is this is a joke, right? Because they don't, they, they, it's not like, do you, where do they shoot? Is it like, is it really snowing at the castle of Winterfell every time they shoot there and it's snowing? They just wait for a day for it to snow? Uh, no. I do know that they waited um, until some of, some of the uh, – like when they used to do north of the wall, they used to do it in um, 
Iceland or Greenland? Greenland, I think. They used to do it in Greenland, and they would uh, they would wait until November to shoot. Or no, in Greenland they could they didn't have to wait as long. They'd shoot earlier in the shooting season, but they would shoot some of the Castle Black stuff in November. Um, now, is that just because whatever kind of false snow that they used to spray around holds better, uh, looks better on screen? I have no That's idea. I don't I'm know. Saying, that, dude. Yeah. yeah, I think that that was BS. I think that may have been a joke that was interpreted you know what i mean kind of or, wrongly but i don't know or, or or maybe a way to throw off the the uh the the uh the sniffers oh, like watchers like on the wall or winter is coming you know yeah. so that they can do some filming uh a little with a little less attention oh do both those websites do do, do they do, do people do that for game of thrones like sneak on set and stuff like that uh, well, there's always fans that try. And then, uh, if they submit them to watchers on the wall or winners coming, they definitely submit them and, and winners, they'll put them up. So you got to be careful. They, but I, I will say both of these websites never put anything below their break line or above their break line in terms of spoilers and that. So you have to want to see it. You have to actually click on the story. Oh yeah. No, like I said, I didn't mean before. I mean, we've talked about spoilers, but I have no problem. If people want to know, if people want to sneak in, okay, do it. But my personal opinion is when it comes to the actual like production of something, I try not to look for that kind of stuff Sure, because those like true spoilers. But when it's like something from an adaptation of something, I feel like there's kind of, you have to give people leeway, you know, sure. because there was a fandom. It's just like, I have a certain respect for people who have been reading these books for 20 years. It's like, this is your thing, bro. Like 20 years. You know what I mean? Like that's a long time. Right. So, you know, there are people who, I mean, well, you started reading after I think Donald did. I think Mike did. Um, but I'm sure there are how many, how many podcasters are there around who have been like reading the books since the nineties? Right. Um, let's see. Um, there's one or two podcasts that I think are still in existence that was reading it long before the show came out, but I don't know. See, that's so fun. From the very beginning. Could you imagine that, that you're like doing a podcast about a song of ice and fire and then one day, you know, oh, look, HBO is going to be, <laughs> oh, I wonder if this is going to be any good. Fast forward. This is the biggest show in the history of television. You know, like that's pretty amazing. I I, I would love to see, and I I, don't, I couldn't cite a specific podcast, but I'd love to go try and go back and find one of those where you had somebody Debbie Downing about the series yeah. from the get go. <laughs> this will, they will never be able to do this adaptation on screen. They will never be able to do this. They will never be able to do that. They will never be, you know. And even only I think Beast for Crows was out uh, at the time that they announced that uh, they were going to start doing start doing production on it. Uh, Dance with Dragons hadn't even come out yet, but I can just see, you know, a, a few select group of people just kind of clutching onto their books in a coffee house and just shaking because they're like, they're going to ruin my, sh they're going to ruin my series, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. The same way Harry Potter fans are about yeah. those movies. And I hope they're happy now, but of course, everybody, will, some people will be, some people won't be, but you, you have to say this, you couldn't ask for a better effort from game of thrones because it is just a you know myself as a film guy tv guy mm -hmm. it's just it really it makes you happy to see 
someone invest, a, like a major corporation invest so much time and money into something that is really so intelligent and has a lot of really deep and meaningful things to say about humanity, war, you know, politics. Right. Uh, that's really kind of, you know, it makes you happy, you know, just, to, and on top of that in a genre that most of the yeah. public doesn't really pay attention to. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, um, I don't know if they I was now, yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely. I don't know. I was talking about this with like Aaron or something, just thinking about how the whole, how now like everything is sci-fi or fantasy. I mean, just everything is because if yeah. it's a comic book, that's sci-fi, that's fantasy stuff, you know? And then back in the day, that would be unheard of. Like, you know, when alien was made, when 2001 was made, people were like, they're going to put all this money into some stupid, how about star Wars? Sure. They made fun of, George Lucas, right? Like they're dancing, they're jumping around in underpants, you know, in their pajamas, right? Uh, with fighting with light swords. That's so silly. And now this is like the predominant kind of storytelling way. It's pretty awesome to see in the same respect as, you know, I know you may disagree. Our good friend Glenn as well. They'll Marvel movies, which to me are like, some of the largest waste of money in the history of humanity. Oh, sacrilege. Um, I'm sorry. And not the stories. Hey, I'm a comic book guy. I like comic books. Sometimes they can be a little silly, but I like, I'm a comic book guy. But, you know, when you compare the end of uh, Age of Ultron with that stupid freaking island is going to fall, like, I mean, just made no sense. I didn't understand it at all. To the human drama and battle of the Battle of the Bastards, there's just no comparison. And in the way it was shot, the actors, the devotion to craft, in costumes, special effects, everything. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, uh, it's really an awesome sight to see. Now, let me ask you this. Have you heard about this show, Westworld, that's coming out on HBO? I have heard about it. I don't know that I've really read anything about it or uh, seen any kind of promotions of it or anything like okay. that. I, I know I give our buddy Glenn Ewing a lot of trouble because he's always trying to tie uh, the world of ice and fire to being a pre-water world. <laughs> uh, you know, I give him a lot of trouble, and I'm like, well, who's going to come up with the Westworld theory? Who's going to come up with the, you know? <laughs> oh, well, I know. It's all, the Will, it's all that Will Smith movie, Wild Wild West. There you go. There it is. Um, I just want, because I was just going to try to create a moment like that where we say, ah, that's going to be stupid. And then four years from now, we're podcasting on Westworld season four. (laughs) (laughs) We're like looking back at the movie, but, um, anybody out there listening, go back and watch the movie Westworld because it is a fantastic, I'll tell you, it is a fantastic example of the simplicity of how action films and some genre films can be made and used to be made, but they still can be made this way, but it's a really simple film, but it's really fun. Um, but I ask about the show because a lot of, you know, people are saying now that it's going to get deep, like game of thrones ish lost style where there's like questions of who's 
real? Who's not? Is this reality? Is it not? You know what I mean? Like that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so who knows? We might be podcasting about Westworld, but yeah, I don't want to make fun of the, uh, Marvel stuff too much. It's all, it's, it's, it's not harmful. It's fun, you know? Um, yeah, well, I'll just clip, I'll just clutch onto my, uh, my DVD <laughs> copy of Westworld and go, they'll never do it as good as this. They'll never do it as good as this. And then, uh, you know, five years later when I'm podcasting about Westworld still, then people can laugh at me. Yeah, I, dare. I went on record. I met Yul Brenner, sir. I saw him in Westworld and you're no Yul Brenner in Westworld. <laughs> that was a good movie though. It really, it was surprisingly simple. Um, but really, uh, it was really kind of a fun movie. Uh, so I, but I think that show is going to be cool. I think we're going to, I predict we're going to be podcasting about Westworld. I think it's going to pick up because again, I mean, HBO is putting a lot of money and time and people who are really into it. You know, the guy who's writing it is, um, I, it, well, it's, I guess he pronounced it Jonah, right? But it's Jonathan. Uh, he calls himself Jonah Nolan, Chris, no- Christopher Nolan's brother who created, oh. um, you like that show person of interest, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So he, I read some interview where he's saying he's trying to kind of meld that kind of AI ideas into that's what Westworld is about. Interesting. Now you're down with it. Aren't you, Matt? I'm getting down with it because I loved Person uh-huh. of Interest. I know a lot of people don't like those kind of procedurals, but they turn, it turned out to, to me it finished really strong. What is your Westworld podcast going to be called? Like, howdy, folks, or so, howdy, <laughs> West Westworld with Matt. Podcast howdy. Podcast howdy. Podcast howdy fell. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool, man. Well, we've I think we've uh we put together a nice little podcast here. Thanks for coming on with me, buddy. Axel, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I love hearing your ideas. I, I love talking to all of you guys over there. You know, I, I miss uh doing initial reactions with you guys all of the time uh during a season. I, I that's the one thing out of my not podcasting about certain episodes of Game of Thrones that really has hit me on a personal level. You know, I I feel like I really missed out on a lot of great conversations and folks, thanks again for listening to my voice and, uh, Axel, thanks so much for having me. Oh, of course, buddy. And Hey, you know what? You just, we got a lot more to go. You know what I mean? So it was, and I think actually, I think you leaving and coming back added great drama and interest to the podcast world, Matt. So <laughs> I think it was well worth it. I think it was, it, you know what? And it, I think it was cool too, because you had balls. You thought you felt some way and you stood up for it. And then you came around and you said, Hey, you know what? I'm going to come back and do this. So I don't know, whatever. I think it was all fun, yeah, man. When I tell my some might say I was being exploitive. I hear you. Well, that's true. <laughs> well, shh, don't tell anyone that we set that whole thing up, dude. Okay. <laughs> Matt, a whole year off for you guys. Come on, man. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, um, anyway, we'll be back next time to talk more about Westworld here on <laughs> podcast, small Westworld. Um, yeah. Great season. Great podcast. Very cool. Are you planning on doing the initial reaction and stuff next year or have you not thought about it yet? Cause you should do it, man. Yeah. I, uh, 
Well, I got to tell you, man, it's really going to just my my music career. Yeah. Like I'm spending weeks at a time on the road now, and it's harder and harder to to figure out when I could be available to record with people. Uh, I've been investing a lot of time in doing some pre-recording episodes and just scheduling like live panel things once in a while. Uh, but I hope, I hope to, I, I know that at very least I will have a weekly episode uh, next year and, and hopefully have some of you guys on with me if you, if you care to venture back over to the North there. Oh, I think it'd be awesome, dude. That that's great, man. The more the merrier. And I, I love hearing you every week. And I, lo- I loved also getting back to hearing like all the awesome people that call in. So I know. Everybody's so much smarter than me. It's so great doing fan call-in shows because that way I don't have to work very hard and, and I get all these great ideas and then I can act like they were mine a well, week later. That's, that's, all, that's what I do, dude. Come on. <laughs> that's what we all do. We just talk. We're just good at talking, right? We just pick this all off, off Twitter or Reddit or something. All right. Well, we're going to get going now. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Much appreciated. Of course, you can follow us at Small Council Pod on Twitter. Um, I've handed, I'm going to be taking a little Twitter break. I pop back on to try to get someone to podcast with me today. Uh, but I've been trying to take a little break from the social media. Um, and, uh, so DJ Timmy Hines is taking over the, the small council feed. So if you, he, if you get a lot of tweets calling Davos and John bitches or anything like that, <laughs> that wasn't me people. It was DJ Tim Hines. Um, you can also email us as people did today, uh, smallcouncilpod at gmail.com. And that's about it. I don't know when we're going to be, uh, in your ear holes again. We're trying to get something together, uh, to do over the off season. Uh, there's been some rumors and innuendo, but nothing locked down yet. But I do know that we do want to come back within the next month or so, hopefully, um, with a more full kind of maybe even episode breakdown season review kind of thing. And we'll, we'll invite you on, of course, Matt, maybe we'll have like a whole round table or something. That would be fun. That would be awesome, man. If I can do it, I will definitely will be there. And maybe like we were talking about before, I may attempt to do a kind of pre-scripted type podcast inspired by yourself and uh, the history of Westeros podcast. I, that, that it's not going to be a book one. It'll be a TV kind of thing. Um, but I might be inspired to do something like that. I just want to try to come up with the subject that I could actually kind of get clips from the show and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it'd be be fun. It'd be fun to kind of work on something like an audio story kind of like that. I haven't done that in a long time. Yeah. You'll be awesome at it again. I guarantee it. Uh, I hope, I hope I'll learn from the best. I learned it from watching you. All right. Um, thanks everybody. Dara Gailey's Jakaris. You're listening to the small council, a game of Thrones podcast. Find us on Twitter at small council pod. Email us at smallcouncilpod at gmail.com. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. (laughs) 
It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 